We're going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 14. It's on page 739 of your Pew Bibles. And Jesus is once more at a banquet. And in this passage, what he does through word and through action is he's demonstrating how different the kingdom principles are from the principles and values of the prevailing culture. So Luke 14, chapter, uh, verse 1. Jesus at a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet. And invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he said to his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported back to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out onto the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, 
Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Kevin. I one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and it's my uh, privilege this morning to open up this passage of Scripture that John has read for us and aim to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. We're in the middle of a series of messages on uh, our Sunday morning gatherings where we are exploring through the Gospel of Luke how Jesus behaves and interacts at meal tables. And we're seeing how He inspires in us and demonstrates for us a radical hospitality. And this morning, uh, really the, one of the great themes of this passage is that the kingdom of God is a feast. That the kingdom of God, the, uh, the rule and reign, the realm in which uh, Jesus has authority... The spaces and places and people who are under his rule and, and his authority, that, that's a feast. It's a great party. It reminds me of Jesus' first miracle when he came to a wedding feast in the little village of Cana of Galilee. And he turned water into wine. And he turned a mediocre party into a great feast, into a great party. Might be confusing to you. You might, uh, you may have some uh, perceptions of Christianity and you say, you know, why in the world would Jesus throw a party? Why would Jesus really begin to reveal himself as to who he is and what he's able to do and accomplish? Why would he do that by throwing a party? Maybe you think of Christianity primarily as, you know, don't smile too much. Keep your nose clean. You know, obey some rules, come to church on Sunday, you know, keep your nose clean. For Jesus, his kingdom is a, is a feast. It's a party. It's a great banquet. You know, we think of a great party, we need to have the best people invited. It's all about the guest list. Do we have a, a guest list that is uh, exciting, that, uh, a guest list that's interesting? Are we, are we around, are we surrounding ourselves with the people that we want to be identified with so that we can uh, really even build up our own stature and our own reputation? This passage teaches us that, yes, the kingdom of God is a feast, but it's a feast for the humble. It's a feast for the humble. want to do explore that theme this morning that the kingdom of God is this great party, this great feast, but it's a, not a feast that we would tend to like we would tend to think of it. It's a feast for the humble. I want to explore that theme by by looking at three uh, different environments. We want to look at the inner circle. We want to look at the open home, and we want to look at uh, the humble feast. So the inner circle. First of all, verse seven to eleven, Jesus is. Uh, it says he tells a parable, and he's, he's, he's giving a teaching a principle. 
and he's uh, drawing on from well-known wisdom of the day and the, the cultural uh, dynamics of what these kind of banquets that he was at, at the house of a Pharisee, of a prominent one. And, uh, and so the, 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 the host of the, of the banquet, of this feast, of this uh, meal, is, would sit in the hot place of highest honor. And as guests would uh, arrive, they would find a seat and they'd try to rank themselves and try to figure out, you know, where do I fit in the pecking order? They may or may not know the entire list of the, of the guests, of, of everyone who's coming. But uh, the places of honor were the, you know, the closer to the host that you were uh, was, you know, your, uh, was indicative of your space, your uh, ranking in society and in, in the culture, in the, in the city of the day. And so Jesus uh, says, you know, it's, it's so embarrassing if you put yourself in too high of a place and the host has to come and say, well, no, there's actually someone who is more honorable, more higher ranking than you. And so I'm going to ask to ask you to, to step down. He says, rather, no, you, you come and, and take a low place. And, and so then you'll be, the, the host will come and say, no, 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 you shouldn't be sitting way down there. You should be sitting up here. And so you're exalted. And he's, he's, Jesus says he's teaching this principle that really runs all through the scripture that, that the one who humble, that exalts themselves will be humbled and the one who humbles themselves will be exalted. You know, we want to, as, as, as people who are often self, self-conscious and uh, concerned about where we fit in and where we belong and how we belong, we're very conscious of, you know, being parts of the right crowd, needing to fit in, needing to be part of that inner circle, right? We have this great fear of being the outsider, of, of not belonging. Yeah, I've, been, uh, I've been influenced a lot, uh, especially this winter, by the writings of C.S. Lewis. I read his a really in-depth biography of him this winter, and he, he has a, a book uh, called The Four Loves. And one of the, the kinds of loves that he has is, is the love of friendship. And uh, he makes these great points and this uh, great insights in, this, uh, in, in some of the chapters on friendship. Where he says, you know, if you, if you just desire to, to fit in and you, you want to be loved by someone. But you don't really have a common purpose, something beyond. You just want that person to like you. You just want to belong. He says, you'll never, you'll never fit in. You see, friendship is always about something else other than the friendship itself. If you're just wanting to fit in so that you have this feeling of like, I'm in the inner circle. I'm, I'm in the know. You'll actually never quite fit in. But if, if your, friend, your friendship is based on something greater and something beyond just the friendship itself, you'll actually begin to move in. If you look at people not for what, uh, but if you look at people just for what they can contribute to you, i.e. friendship, belonging, feeling part of the inner circle, you'll actually never fit in. You'll actually never be in that inner circle. But if you, if you look for what you can contribute, humbly, Thinking not of your own interests, 
but thinking of the interests of others. That's what humility is. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Thinking not for what I can gain, but for what I can contribute. Jesus is teaching here, if you have this great fear of being an outsider, you'll always be an outsider. But if you approach people, not for what you can get from them, but for what you can contribute, what you can give to them, you'll actually be welcomed in, and, and you're actually in the place of the insider. You exalts himself, will be humbled. You'll never quite fit in, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you'll, start, if you'll stop just thinking about what you can gain from other people, but rather what you can contribute to them, you'll actually feel like you're more and more included. Some of you, some of us uh, struggle with that, feelings of inclusion. Maybe it's even in the church. And you say, well, for me to fit in and to fit into this church, I actually need to be friends with those three different people. Well, if you look around, we're, we're, we're too big of a church for that to actually be possible, right? We, we can't all be super tight with everyone else in this room. And for those who are part of our church who aren't in the room at the moment. And if we're thinking just about, unless I'm friends with them, unless I'm on the inner circle and they're the core, they're the cool people, they're the cool kids from high school. Some of us haven't moved beyond high school, right? Um, Unless we move beyond that, what can I gain from them to what can I contribute? We'll actually never quite be included. We'll never quite belong. Again, humbling yourself is not to say... I'm the worst person in the room. It's to think less of your own interests, but to think more as to what I can contribute to the interests of others. That's what Philippians 2 is all about, that great passage. Some of us were at Jeff's wedding yesterday, Jeff and Michelle's wedding, and that was their passage. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let the same mind that was in Christ be in you, who had this place of honor, equality with God, didn't grasp onto it, made himself a servant, came to serve others, to love others, what he could contribute to others. And it was through that release of his position, release of what, he, what was due to him, but what he could, could give to others, it's in that way that God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every other name. Jesus is teaching here, if you, if you, if you have this desperate fear of being an outsider, you're always going to be an outsider. Until you can... Look at others and say, I want to love you just for the sake of loving you, just to what I can contribute. Then you'll finally move towards friendship, towards places of being honored, uh, towards belonging. The inner circle. Secondly, the open home. Verse 12 to 14. When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, relatives, or your rich neighbors. Sounds pretty clear. Sorry, mom, dad, not coming over anymore. Some of you, that's a great relief. Some of you are like, brothers and sisters, sweet. I don't have to spend any time with them anymore. So, so what's Jesus teaching here? So, so what you're not doing now is going out and say, well, I follow Jesus. So call up your, 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 basically your friends and your relatives and say, well, I'm, I'm not allowed to hang out with you anymore because I follow Jesus. Well... You know, later on in this chapter, Jesus says, you know, hate your mom and dad. 
So, so what's he doing? He's using what's called a, an idiom, a, a Semitic idiom, where, uh, for example, when he says, you know, hey, unless you hate your mom and dad, you, you can't be my disciple. He's saying, your devotion to me, your love for me should be so great, should, should be so much greater than your love for anyone else that your love for anyone else actually looks like hate. That's what he's saying. There. That's what he's teaching there. It's an expression. It's a... It's a a form of speech that he's using to teach how great our love and devotion for him should be. So we also need to understand that this uh, culture in which Jesus um, speaks isn't a meritocracy, isn't you don't earn your place in society based on what you've contributed and how, what you've accomplished. It's a hierarchy. It's a, it's a hierarchical society. Not everyone's equal. There's, there's different, it's a stratified society. And so in order to get something done, you need to know someone who's in the know and someone who's uh, in the place of authority to actually get done what you need to do. And so there's this whole patronage system of, oh, I'm going to invite you so that maybe I'll be invited to you and we'll network at each other. This still happens today in our society, though we want to say we're meritorious or meritocracy and democracy. It still happens, right? It's a I'm going to invite you so that maybe you'll invite me. And if I get invited to your house, then I'll maybe meet this person who's even higher up. And so my network will grow and I'll be able to get done what I need to get done. Jesus says, don't invite your friends. So don't, don't open up your home to others for what you can gain from it. Don't, don't be looking out for your own interests. As you open up your home, not for self-interest, but for what, not for what you can get, but for what you can give. Open up your home. Invite others in for what you can contribute. He says you should prefer to bring people into your home who won't be able to pay you back in the same way. Invite people in, not for what you can get, but for what you can give just to love them because they're valuable human beings. We've experienced some of the joy of that uh, this year. We've, um, in, in many ways, become really good friends with uh, a, a family that was newcomers to Canada. And uh, our, one of our kids was friends with one of their kids at school, and so we invited them over, and I was kind of annoyed, confession. I, I often say to Sherry, I don't, I don't have space in my life for any more friends, like, I can't even hang out with the friends that we do have. Um, confession, honestly, like, don't put me on that pedestal. Um, but we had this family over, and, and really, like, they're newcomers. They don't know anyone here. They don't, they don't have the resources and the, the networks to really be able to contribute anything. But we had them over, and we had the greatest time with them. And they actually then invited us to their house, and they made us... They're from El Salvador. They made us pupusas. I don't know if you've ever had a pupusa, but it's like a, it's the national dish of El Salvador. And, and it was just overwhelming to, to, to experience that hospitality from them. To be, to be humble means that sometimes we can't always be givers. Sometimes we actually have to humble ourselves to receive. For some of us, that's, a, that's an issue too, right? But, um, but the, these people in, for, for whom really they had nothing to offer us. And I don't mean that in a degrading way, but they don't they didn't know anyone, and they're brand new to Canada. They can't really get anything done for us, but just the, the friendship that we could offer and experience. They were in our home on Christmas Eve. They were, 
they invited us for Christmas dinner at their house. And it, when you open your home, not for what you can get, but for what you can give, what you'll find is that strangers become family. Strangers become family. When we open our homes to strangers, not for what we can get from them, but for what we can give to them. That's the, that's the hospitality and again, we're not, I, I, I hesitate to even share that story because it elevates us as like, be like us. I know there's dozens of stories out in the room like this. I know of people who've been invited to people's homes to celebrate their Christmas, their family Christmas, even though there's no blood relation. But that's what friendship, hospitality, welcoming people in to our living space, not for what they can give, but just to be a friend to them, but what, for what we can contribute to their lives. And so we've, as a church, we've been really uh, trying to focus in on the New Testament instruction, invitation towards hospitality, philoxenia, love of the stranger, welcoming people to your living space. You don't need to have the perfect home. Some of you need to hear this again and again. Hospitality, like throw out, discard, rip up the Martha Stewart magazine images in your head, right? Where you have to have everything just right. Sometimes when you invite others into your living space, you're going to have laundry on your couch. Because that's what real life is like. At least in my house, that's what life is like. You don't have to have it all together. It's not about you putting on a show to impress. Hospitality is not... You impressing, it's about belonging and creating spaces and places of belonging for those who would normally be excluded. It's welcoming people to your living space and treating strangers as family so that one day they truly become family members. Who, who should you be inviting in? Well, you should be inviting in other Christians. You're like, wow, no, I thought you meant strangers. There are some strange Christians, even in this room. <laughs> It's true. But here's the truth. So we, we, as a church, we've gone through a period of growth. And uh, if you look or if you just turn your head around right now and look around, there's no way that you know everyone in the room. In fact, people are telling me all the time, especially those who are up the front leading worship, they're like, man, I'm looking out and I don't know half the people here. So here you go. A couple minutes, we're having connection time. What you're going to do is you're going to invite someone over for lunch. And you're like, I don't have a roast in the oven. I don't have it prepared for it. I don't have a spread. Just invite someone over to lunch. They'll help you chop the carrots. Invite someone into your living space. Someone you don't know. Even if you haven't figured out what you're going to even have for lunch, Domino's Pizza is just down the street. Ten minutes, they're, they're ready to go. Have some pizza. Enjoy a meal. Invite someone into your living space, even though it's not perfect. Our testimony to one another and to this world is not that we have it all together. It's not that our lives are shiny and happy and all put together. That's not our testimony. That's not our story. Our story is that we're messed up, broken people who actually do laundry. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Invite other Christians in. Invite your neighbors in. 
people in the same sphere of life as you. Whether it's your workplace, whether it's your neighborhood, your street, physical neighbors. Invite people in who are surprising. Jesus was always asked, you read the Gospel of Luke, he's always asked, why are you eating with them? They're not the kind of people you should be friends with. Invite people in. Maybe at connection time when you're going to invite someone over or you're going to receive that invitation and and take someone up on it, maybe it's going to be someone who's different, different age, different socioeconomic status, different, different background, someone you don't know, but someone who's different, an unnatural, a surprising friendship might emerge. And then Jesus, of course, here teaches that we need to welcome in, into our homes, those who are needy. Bring them in, he says, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Don't just invite them because they won't come. You, like, need to pick them up and bring them in. You need to go to them and bring them in. Again, it's instinctive for us to invite people who can open doors for us. And he says, oh, invite people for whom you can create spaces of belonging. You see, friends, God can turn strangers into family through hospitality. Through a welcome place of belonging, God can turn strangers into family. I'm reading a book, just was released this week. Um, I love the title, and I'm loving the content. You may want to pick it up. It's on Amazon. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Great title, right? The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Rosaria Butterfield is her name. Incredibly great book so far. Just throwing it out there. If you want to take that, maybe you want to, in your life group, you want to study a book together, you want to dig deep into this theme of hospitality, this, this is a deep dive. Uh, the gospel comes with a house key. I'm really enjoying it so far. Third idea tonight, uh, this afternoon, this evening, this morning, whenever it is right now, <laughs> feels like the more, middle of the night already for me, the humble feast, the humble feast. The kingdom of God is like a feast, but it's not the kind of feast that we might think. It's a feast for the humble. How do you have to humble yourself to be a part of this feast? The feast is for the humble because it's free. The feast of the kingdom of God is not a restaurant that you come to and pay for at the end. There's no bill coming. The kingdom of God is not a meal that is not a potluck meal that you're bringing something to contribute. It's free. It's free. You thinking that you can contribute something to the feast that's provided for us in the kingdom of God is like, you know, um, you you being invited out to a restaurant where someone's going to pay 500 bucks a plate and you're like, let me go home and get my microwave frozen dinner so I can bring something along. No, don't, you, you don't contribute anything. The kingdom of God is received humbly. You don't prepare yourself through moral improvements. Don't think you need to clean yourself up in order to come. If you're holding on to guilt, if you're holding on to anger of how you've been treated, if you're holding on to the mistakes you've been made and the, the, the failure of others to forgive you for the mistakes you've made or... That's, friends, that's just pride. Masquerading as humility, but it's pride. Anything that would keep you away from the free offer of a feast that's prepared for you, saying, I'm not worthy, I've got to clean myself up first, I've got to make myself worthy, that's pride saying, I need to contribute. 
I need to do something first. It's there for you. You're welcome at the feast. The kingdom of God is is received humbly. The kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit. For the poor in spirit. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt. Bankrupt. Nothing to offer. It's not for the spiritually middle class. Yeah, pretty good. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not spiritually rich. Not perfect. I made some mistakes, but you know, I think generally speaking, the good always the bad for me. Jesus says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's for the spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing, nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross, I claim. You have to humble yourselves. You see the parable of the great feast. The right crowd was invited first, right? And they rejected the invitation. Which has borne itself out throughout history that the closer people are to power or to being in the cultural elite or accepted, culturally accepted of the day, the more prejudiced we are against the gospel. Jesus humbles us first. I've been teaching this class on disciple making and one of the kind of the core lines I keep coming back to is cheer up, you're worse than you think. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. Cheer up, you're more loved than you ever thought possible, but you're, more, you're worse than you think. You know, and so, so we, we, we resist this, right? We resist this in so many ways. We resist the, the, the grace, sheer, pure grace. We resist it because we're religious people. And so we turn Christianity into more of a lifestyle. We say, well, it's all about living the Christian lifestyle. It's all about, you know, come to church, join a life group, serve the soup kitchen, do these three things, and you're following Jesus. The kingdom of God is a feast that you're welcome to, that we need to humbly receive and say, I, I contribute nothing. It's going to produce some things in my life, yes. It's going to change the way I live, yes. But at the bottom, I bring nothing. I contribute nothing. Kingdom of, is, is, the, the kingdom feast is for the humble because it must be a priority too. You notice these people, right, who are invited and they're like, well, I just bought a field. I got to go see it. Uh, I was going to go take care of these oxen that I just have. I just got married. I, I, it's not re- really fitting into my plans of what I had planned for today. See, the king, we have to humble ourselves under the priority of the kingdom. That Jesus in his kingdom takes precedence. It's going to change our agenda. It's going to change our calendars. It's going to change our pocketbooks. It's going to change things in our life. Because it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And it's going to bring disruption. How can God give it to us for free? Hospitality is expensive. It is. It's expensive. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to like disrupt your life. If we live with hospitality, how can God give hospitality this feast for free? Hospitality is expensive. It's because he paid for it. It's because he paid for it. Jesus was in the most inner circle there was, the most exclusive inner circle called the Trinity, the ultimate party, the ultimate feast. He was in the ultimate home, but he came humbly and he came homeless. Hospitality is expensive, but Jesus has brought us into his home. Jesus brought us into his 
his, his, his family. He's brought us into his feast. He's brought us around his table only because he was thrown out, because he was excluded. He was excluded so we could be included. So Jesus' hospitality brought you in. And his call, his invitation for us is to do for others what he did for us. Do for others what he did for us. He was welcomed us in. And now let's welcome others in. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, we do ask that you would just amaze us with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Who though he was rich, for our sakes became poor. Who paid the great cost to provide the ultimate feast in the ultimate home as part of the ultimate family. So then, Lord, just melt our hearts so that we'll invite those in who have nothing to contribute to us but simply for what we can give. So, Lord, make us a humble people, ready to give and to receive hospitality from you and from one another. In Jesus' name we pray.